This is Wyman and Bob on Seattle Sports, powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Streaming live on the Seattle Sports app and at seattlesports.com. Now, here are your hosts, Dave Wyman and Bob Stelton. We continue to get you ready for what may come with the Seahawks draft and the offseason free agency. All of that stuff going on here to sort it all out for us is our man from ESPN.com who does a great job covering the Seahawks for ESPN. He's with us on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. He is Brady Henderson. How are you, man? Hey, what's up, Bob and Dave? How you doing? Thanks for having me. We're doing good, man. I'm glad that you are uh, you went from doubtful to questionable today, and uh, <laughs> we're good to go, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, uh, I'm i feeling better I, for people who don't know, which I assume is everybody, uh, what we're talking about. I had a uh, little minor surgery a couple days ago, and so uh, I, uh, I'm i glad I could fit you guys into my very busy schedule of <laughs> sitting on my couch and doing absolutely nothing. <laughs> I, I, I told I told Dave that Brady's biggest area of, of angst or concern would be how long is it going to be before I can golf again? How long? Well, absolutely. Yeah, this, this was something I've been putting off for a few years, and I, I figured now is the time of year to do it because the weather's not really good. And this is like you know the month where I would minimize the amount of golf that I missed. And then meanwhile, it's like 50 degrees out and beautiful, so uh, I may have miscalculated there, but we'll be back. He's going, damn it. Damn. Uh, well, I'm, I'm glad you're feeling better, man. I'm glad you're on the mend. Uh, as we uh, get set, we've been talking about all the mock drafts and everything that are going on out there. Before we get into all of that, uh, what, where are you at these days with with the Geno story and and where it's sitting? We a couple of comments from him on podcasts that hey, things are looking good, or it's a, he had a positive take on it. Then he sends out he, he's got sort of cryptic tweets here and there where you're going. I don't I don't know if that's good or bad or what the hell he's talking about. But what, what's your feeling as we sit today about that deal getting done? Yeah, I, I've learned to stop trying to read too much into tweets without the context of knowing what they're talking about because you could go any number of ways with that. But I, I, I put more a lot more stock into what he has said on the record, which was you know at the Pro Bowl he said it's uh, looking very good. And he said that they've already started negotiations. Uh, I think John Schneider um, in a radio interview said kind of something similar, said that he expects to get a deal done. So um, all, all signs are pointing to it getting done. Uh, I, I suppose I could see some situation where they just can't quite finalize it. I, I don't know what would really happen now between uh, now and then to really change it, but it, it does sound like it's uh, like it's more likely than not to happen. And I think the the interesting one then becomes what happens with Drew Locke. And I'm actually writing a story on that for ESPN.com about uh, that situation there. And, you know, if I'm Locke, I, I certainly want to see what happens with Gino uh, before I make a decision on, on where I go next. And I think the question then is what kind of market is there going to be for Locke? Certainly the ideal scenario for the Seahawks would be re-signing both of those guys, but it's just going to come down to what kind of market does Locke have uh, but I, I do think that it, it, it's sounding from everything I'm hearing uh, behind the scenes and in public, I, it sounds more likely than not that a Geno deal is going to get done. Do you have a number in mind, Brady, for the, the Geno deal? You know, I, I sort of pegged it somewhere around $30 million. We did a project uh, for ESPN.com a week or so ago where uh, we tried to simulate all the different quarterback movement, and the, my best guess was like a three-year uh, $90 million deal with uh, a little over half that guaranteed, I think, which uh, just sounds about right. And then separately, I, I pulled a few agents around the NFL um, and a contract advisor, guys that, whose opinion I trust, and they all sort of had it in that 30 
to $35 million range there. And I think one of them had, uh, per, you know, guessed that he would get the franchise tag, which still falls within that range. I think it's 32 uh, million and change or something like that. So that's my best guess is uh, somewhere around there, 30 to $35 million. I think I, I, I kind of have a hard time seeing the Seahawks go too far above that, uh, knowing that they've got, you know, the, the two first round picks, they've also got lock in their back pocket. Obviously they'd have to resign him, but, that wouldn't that would cost a fraction of that. Um, so I, I think they're in a position to where you know they they have a lot of resources. They believe in their system. We've heard Pete Carroll talk about that. Uh, to where if if it just gets astronomical, if it gets too high for them with Smith, then I, I think they could I could see them, you know, going alternative routes. But um, you know, from the sounds of it, uh, I imagine you know they've they it sounds like they've already started having those negotiations, and it doesn't sound like they're that far apart. So. Uh, that may be a moot point. Could you envision them using that number five pick on a quarterback? You mean if if they also re-sign Geno Smith before that? Or just even in any scenario, to be honest, it just it feels sort of out of. I mean, you never know with the Seahawks; they're they, they're very they can be very counterintuitive. So as soon as we believe there's no way in hell they would do it, that's exactly what they would do. But I don't know; just the the idea that they would whether they sign Geno for two years and draft a quarterback and say we're going to let him learn for a couple of years, or hey, Geno's gone, we're going to draft our quarterback of the future. Maybe they re-sign Drew Lock. I just I would be stunned if they use that number five pick on a quarterback. I, you know, I, I wouldn't be stunned just because we've seen enough things happen in the NFL, including a lot of moves by them that, uh, they go against expectations. And so, um, and, and look, I mean, it it just, it, it would take them falling in love with a guy and we've seen that happen before. And we, we haven't always seen them draft that guy, but you remember the conversation, uh, you know, five years ago, um, where, you know, uh, Josh Allen was coming out of Wyoming and there was all sorts of questions about the flaws and his accuracy. And, you know, they liked him despite all that enough to where, from what I understand, you know, they wanted to, I think it's, it's been reported a number of times that they called Cleveland about trading for the number one overall pick. My understanding is that they did that because they wanted to draft Josh Allen number one overall. Uh, And so, and, and, you know, the year before that, 2017, they fell in love with Patrick Mahomes. So we've seen them really get enamored with guys. Obviously Mm. they've, in love with Russell Wilson uh, in 2012 and, and drafted him in the third round. But I don't know. We've, we've seen them really fall in love with guys, uh, and maybe that happens. Obviously, if they re-sign Geno Smith, I think they would you know go a different route. They would go defense, but uh, with, that, with that number five overall pick or wherever that ends up being. But I just don't think you can rule out anything because, uh, you know, we've seen them really fall in love with quarterbacks. So I don't know if you have like a, a mock list or, or anything, uh, Brady, but uh, we were just talking to a guy named Ryan Wilson from CBS, and he has Jalen Carter uh, at that, that number five pick. I I kind of like this Miles Murphy kid. I feel like either way it's it's going to be, you know, probably, and I'm hoping it's for the defense, and I feel like that's really where they need to try to, try to keep it. But, you know, maybe they address it through free agency, you know, kind of like a, they they did that a little bit between thir- uh, twelve and thirteen with uh, you know getting Cliff Averill and and uh, Michael Bennett. But uh, how how do you see them going with these first four picks and the first what like fifty two fifty three picks? Yeah, you know I, I was watching the the NFC Championship game the other day a couple of weeks ago, and that was one of my takeaways is that you know remember Hassan Reddick was a, a guy that 
uh, Philly signed in free agency. That wasn't a draft pick. And yeah. um, I think that was maybe a reminder that, you know, we've, we've sort of assumed all along that um, they're going to revamp that defense through the draft and through the draft only. And, and I think, look, most of those, uh, most of that work has got to be done through the draft because if you sign Geno Smith, if you re-sign him, that's going to take up a huge chunk of whatever cap space they end up having. Uh, but I do think that there are some impact moves that they can make there in free agency, whether it's, you know, signing somebody to a, a Yuchenna Nuosu type deal. Yeah, this is not a team that really likes to break the bank in free agency, so I wouldn't expect it to be, you know, some massive $15, $20 million a year contract. But maybe there is uh, kind of a, a middle-tier free agent or two that they could get. Maybe there's, uh, you know, a guy who gets cut um, and is, is available on the cheap. You know, Frank Clark is a guy that comes to mind. I've, I've read some things suggesting that he might be, uh, a cap casualty with the with uh, the Chiefs, and so you know maybe there's somebody like that that you could bring mm-hmm. back, and so where you don't have to do it solely through the draft, and ideally it would be a mix of both, so that you're not relying on you know five rookies to turn around a defense that needs a lot of work, and so I think ideally you would sprinkle in some some impact veterans there, but I still think the majority of that work is going to have to be uh, done in the draft, and you obviously have the resources to do it, whether it's you know, staying at number five overall, whether it's moving back from five and picking around 10, uh, maybe you move back from 20, uh, a few spots, which is that's remember that's the territory where they normally like to trade back. And maybe you pick up even another, uh, day two draft pick and, and really have more ammo to attack some of those needs. But, um, but I do think that I think it's, it's worth a reminder that some of that work is, is likely to be done with veteran guys. You see them address. We we played a cut earlier from um, uh, earlier in the week from KJ Wright, where he was talking about he he's been very blunt, Brady. He's been very blunt in his assessment of the team. Here, I want to play this cut f- for you and get your reaction to it. Well, no, this gonna take some time. I mean, let's look at this roster, guys. We they have a lot of holes. They have a lot of holes on this football team. The interior offensive line scares me. The interior defensive line terrifies me. The linebacker unit is. They don't have linebackers. There's no linebackers on this football team. And so they have a lot, a lot of holes to add via free agency, via the draft. And so I believe we're like in another three years before we can be like really honest and transparent to say this is a Super Bowl caliber roster because right now they're very depleted in a lot of areas. So the interior O-line scares him. The interior D-line terrifies him. Do you, do you agree with that? Do you see them addressing – those spots more likely in free agency with the way they did with Austin Blythe at center. Uh, do they do they go after another center as a free agent or in the draft another guard perhaps? Or do you even agree with his assessment? I, I agree with the assessment that those are the problem spots. I, I don't think it's going to take that long. And you know we, we've seen teams um, you know have really good off seasons and turn their fortunes around. You know that were teams that were worse than the Seahawks were this past season. Um, and if you nail enough moves, you know, I think you can, you can really make a difference. Now, are they going to be at the chiefs Eagles level next off season, even with a great, or excuse me, next year, even with a great off season, maybe not. It, it may take more than that. I, I don't think it's necessarily going to take three years, especially with all the resources they have this year. Uh, but I do agree with KJ's point that, that the problem areas are the defensive line linebacker and interior offensive line. Um, I do think that they need to get better at center and at right guard. And, and yeah, I think that the right guard situation, some of that is, you know, Phil Haynes is a free agent. And I think Gabe Jackson is 
uh, I think he's a potential, if not likely, cap casualty guy just because he stands to make $6.5 million, and he was a part-time player for them this past year because of, uh, you know, partly because of the bulky knees that he has. So I think they've got to make two moves there. Um, the, the scenario where I could envision them bringing back Austin Blythe, uh, re-signing him, is if they go with a young quarterback because I think the one thing that Blythe does really well is that he's a really good communicator, and you probably want to prioritize that. That, that may carry more weight if you're starting a young quarterback. But um, I do think those are the two spots on the line where they can stand to get better. And, you know, at linebacker, look, the fact is Cody Barton's a free agent and Jordan Brooks is, uh, you know, coming off a torn ACL and he may not be ready by uh, Halloween because that happens so late in the year. And so I actually think that uh, the Brooks injury, to me, it makes it more likely, I think, that uh, that Cody Barton could come back whereas maybe that would be a spot where they might look to uh, to upgrade there. I think it. I think you can make an argument that bringing him back now makes more sense because that would ease the transition of instead of having to replace two guys there, uh, which that was already an issue learning that whole defense last year and the continuity was uh, was a problematic there between you know the, the defensive line and the linebackers and everybody learning a new system. Um, you know, I think it would make sense to bring back Cody Barton knowing that you probably won't have. Uh, Brooks for at least the first month of the season and so you know the the needs up front and the defensive end and defensive tackle I mean those are pretty straightforward they just need more impact players there especially if Puna Ford leaves in free agency uh, but even then you know you've got Al Woods is going to be 36 next year and Brian Monet is coming off uh, a pretty serious knee injury and you just need another uh, another really good edge presence every down guy uh, to play opposite Yutenendo Wosu so uh, I agree. There's a ton of needs up there. I just, I, I think that they can, they can get to a point where they're, you know, really competitors before three seasons. Well, Brady, we didn't get to talk to you at the end of the year. We were kind of peeved that uh, Tariq Woolen got snubbed for defensive rookie of the year. And then Ken Walker, who got more first place votes than uh, the kid in New York, the receiver. So uh, what, what, what did you think about some of the, the awards and, and that, uh, that part of it, you know, with, with Gino being the comeback player of the year, were you disappointed or do you think that was a pretty good showing? Uh, I, I thought that Ken Walker deserved the offensive rookie of the year award over Garrett Wilson. And, you know, I'm, look, Tariq Wallen losing that to sauce Gardner. I think that was, uh, that made a little bit more sense because sauce Gardner was really good. And if you've got to look past the, uh, the interception totals and I know interceptions are very important. That's, uh, that's, that's a, a big part of playing cornerback, but sauce Gardner was really good. I just don't know how, uh, how Ken Walker lost the award to Garrett Wilson when he had more total yards uh, from scrimmage. And I think five more touchdowns, it was like nine to four. So it wasn't even close. Um, And then, you know, he he wasn't even a full-time starter until the second month of the season, I believe. And so that was the one that I I thought was questionable. And uh, you know, a a lot of people are complaining about East coast bias. Uh, I would say that that's a, a pretty valid complaint when you, you know, consider it was a guy from New York winning it over a guy from Seattle. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more on Ken Walker, and I've I've made the point over and over and over, as you just did. He had 23 combined carries in the first four games of the season, Brady. So he really had 11 full-time games because he got hurt and missed some time, and he ran for over 1,011 games with nine touchdowns. It just, I don't know, he was really impressive. I would have given the defensive rookie of the year to Aiden Hutchinson. He was, he was ridiculous. I mean, nine and a half sacks, he had more picks than Sauce Gardner. He had three. 
So he, he he was he was a wrecking machine out there, and he he to me had a more of a complaint. I love Tariq. Tariq had a brilliant season, deserved to be in the in the in the final three. But I would have if I had a vote, I would have given it to Hutchinson. Well, and the other thing Ken Walker did is is he had hernia surgery uh, in mid August, and he came back from that four weeks later, and that happens to be the same surgery that I had. And the thought of playing a football game in four weeks from now or doing anything <laughs> remotely athletic uh, is frightening to me. And so that just adds some more context to how impressive well, the season was to me. So he should have won it. Brady, you're kind of an old man now. So, <laughs> you know, that's the difference, man. You yeah, got to embrace that part of it, man. <laughs> He's a, still just a young, growing boy. Oh, he is. Hey, he what, is. speaking of running back, though, Brady, what, what do you think they do with Rashad Penny? I don't imagine he's going to command a bunch of money because unfortunately for him, his season ends with another injury and that's been his story. So I don't know. I don't know what the market will be like for him. What do you, what do you think happens with him? Yeah. I mean, so he came back last year on a one year, I think it was $5.75 million deal with, with most of that guaranteed. He's certainly looking at a one year deal wherever he signs and for however much money that's going to be. He's, He's looking at a one-year deal. I think if the Seahawks could get him on something cheaper than what they signed him to last year, maybe it's a one-year $4 million deal with maybe more of it tied to him staying healthy, then I think that's absolutely a gamble that they should take. And obviously, we all know the injury history. He's coming off another significant injury, and there were several before that. Um, And so he would not be a guy that they would be counting on uh, to, to be the guy. I think it would, if you bring it back, it's with the understanding that Ken Walker, the third is the guy and that Penny is the number two. And look, pretty much every team in the NFL, save for, you know, the, the workhorse guys, uh, they go with at least two running backs. And so you need another guy. Um, certainly it would be a gamble with the injury history, but it would also be a pretty significant payoff if he's able to stay healthy, even for part of the season, just because, You've seen what he can do when he's right. And you saw it at the end of, of the 2021 season, I think for parts of uh, this past season before he got hurt. So it would be a gamble, but I think it would be a worthwhile gamble if you can get him for something around three, four million dollars. And if it's more than that, then I, you know, I would say draft a guy uh, or, or sign another, you know, Carlos side type veteran in free agency uh, because it's going to take more than Ken Walker. Brady, I asked uh, Ryan Wilson this question. I'll ask you. I think it's it's kind of interesting. Um, what is more fascinating coming into the draft, the the first-round bust, the guy that seems to be like the sure thing, or the guy that gets you know glossed over like uh, Brock Purdy, who's the last pick of the draft, or Doug Baldwin, free agent, as we go into this season with uh, you know all of this prognostication about the first round and second round, which of those is a more interesting story to you? Meaning trying to predict which guy is going to be well, what? Just or what, the, what do you mean? Exactly? The first round bust versus the guy that gets, uh, you know, passed over that, you know, because to me, I mean, it's a happy ending with a guy like Doug Baldwin. Yeah, it's tragic. Nobody, you know, drafted him in the first round or whatever, but at least it ends well. But some of the the things that happen where you look at these guys for months and it's just like a sure thing that, you know, a guy like C.J. Stroud or Tyree Wilson, that he's going to be a top five guy. And then we've seen these guys wash out in the first round. It happens all the time. And, you know, just which one's more interesting to you? Yeah, well, that's a good one. I don't know which one is more interesting, but I've always been interested in the why of 
you know, why each of those things happens and, you know, why does a guy get overlooked uh, and then ends up, you know, lighting the NFL on fire or why does a guy go from a can't miss prospect to, um, you know, somebody who flames out. And I, I always think that, you know, it's, it, it's a large, like a, a big part of it, maybe a bigger part that people realize is it, it's like a product of the circumstances, which is to say that, you know, it's not like a guy is destined to be one thing or the other. Like a lot of it depends on, you know, what kind of team he goes to, yeah. uh, what kind of environment he's in, what kind of coaching he gets, you know, obviously staying healthy is random. That. Um, I, I think it, that's, that's, I think a context to the conversation about, well, you know, this player didn't work out and the team made a horrible decision. Well, you know, maybe they made a, a well-reasoned decision and it just didn't work out because of factors that were sort of beyond their control. Uh, but I guess it's it's the teams that are the best at drafting who sort of minimize uh, those mistakes somehow. So it, there's it's not completely random, but um, I just think that there's more to it than a guy is, you know, going to be whatever he's going to be. Yeah, I think you're right. I'm sorry, real quick uh, about the coaching part. That kind of that was sort of brought into the to the forefront this year. I thought in a lot of different situations. One of them being Pete Carroll able to to coach Geno into you know playing really well. How come nobody else could do that? So I think the right coaching is also is also part of it. I'm glad you brought that up. And and, and Tariq Wolin too. I think you could you could throw him into that. You know, like he, yeah. he was a guy who was not nearly this type of player uh, in college, and it was a pretty raw prospect. Yeah. Um, only played I think two seasons at cornerback, and now he's he's a Pro Bowler in his first season. Coaching had a lot to do with that. Yep. Brady, we appreciate you, man. Hang in there, recover. Don't rush the golf game. It'll be there for you. You're you're a year-round kind of guy, so you still have plenty of time to get the get the sticks out there and do your damage. Well, I appreciate that. That's a good reminder. I'm, I'm going to take it easy, and thank you guys for having me. I always, always <laughs> like talking to you guys. Talk to you soon, buddy. Thanks, Brady. All right, see you. There you go. Brady Henderson from the couch, from the recovery room in his, in his home. Talking well, I, to us. I talked to him for a long time about this whole thing, and I thought we wanted to keep this under wraps, and I come in here, and it's out on the Internet. Well, yeah, he put it on his uh, Instagram or Twitter or something. I don't, think, said. I don't think anything like one event happened. Yeah, it sounds like it's been there for a couple of years. Like, so. it didn't. Yeah, like he didn't go out in the backyard and pick up a big brick or something. <laughs> like, like you did at the age of four. Like I did at age four. <laughs> Is that not the most perfect scenario there, <laughs> Lefko? Four-year-old Dave Wyman sees a heavy chunk of concrete and says, "I can pick that up." And a lifetime began of inanimate objects <laughs> hurting, him. having their way with you. <laughs> yeah, that's very, very good point. And I said in a voice just like this, "I bet you I can pick that thing up." <laughs> How much you want to bet? That thing's no challenge for me. I'm four. <laughs> All right. If you missed any of our conversation with Brady Henderson or any part of the show, just head to the podcast page, seattlesports.com. Click the podcast tab and click on our picture after the show. It's always there waiting for you. Or you just click subscribe and it'll be there waiting for you and you won't have to do anything. It's perfect. All right. Coming up, one former Seahawk made headlines recently, but it was for an unfortunate end to his career. We'll get into that next with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports Station on 710. Wyman and Bob. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. I'm telling you, Dave, five, ten years from now, people are going to be looking at some of the fashion going, what was I thinking? How come nobody told me? With these huge glasses that everybody's wearing now that, as you point out, look like old George Burns glasses from back in the old Hollywood old men walking around. It looks like they're they're like goggles. They're like 
Yeah. They're huge. Enormous. Enormous. Uh, yeah, we're looking at uh, Jalen Rose. Jalen Rose. Yeah, he's got these massive glasses on. I, I ran into that guy in Denver. Did he play for the Nuggets? Yeah, Denver. he played for the Nuggets, yeah. the Pacers, the Bulls, the Raptors. This was back when, yeah, like at the end of my time in Denver, ran into a super nice guy. Super nice guy. Oh, but, he's a great guy. But yeah. yeah, I mean, you see all these fashion choices that are being made, like the mullet and the mustache, like the the, the porn stash is back. Yeah, yeah. Look at the like the cover of Ambrosia. Remember Ambrosia, the, the album? Band? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't remember what they look like. Yeah, they honest. all had mullets and mustaches. I swear, maybe not mustaches. Were they mullets back in the se- that seventy stuff? Was that mullets? Well, back wasn't then? that when we had mullets? Mullets was eighties more more prominent in the in the eighties. Hmm. Well, late seventies, early eighties. Yeah, maybe. I don't Okay. We'll agree on that. <laughs> but I mean, why like like nature has chosen those things for extinction already. <laughs> I mean, we already went through that and now you don't learn? I don't know. I really honestly believe 5 <laughs> years, 10 years people will be going, "What was going on then? How come nobody said anything?" Maybe it's like smoking cigarettes, like you know that it's going to kill you and it's terrible, but at some point, yeah. you're just like, I enjoy it too much. And then here are you and I wearing T-shirts and hats and jeans every day. People going, you're making fun of people's clothing, their <laughs> fashion choices, a couple of fashion plates like us. You better believe it, boy. Hey, listen, I've always dressed to not stand out. <laughs> that's right. what I've always, my wife, she wants to be noticed, wants somebody to go, oh, that's cute. I, I want people to look at me and just go, hmm. Oh, t-shirt, huh? Okay. okay. Yeah. Don't notice anything. I'm not trying to be anything. You're not trying not to draw trying to attention. Be anybody. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Hey, a reminder, don't forget to catch the debut episode of the John Schneider Show tomorrow at 4 p.m. Dave and I will be live from the Virginia Mason Athletic Center with the GM. He'll be on with us every Thursday between now and the first round of the NFL Draft. That's the John Schneider Show tomorrow at 4 o'clock, so make sure you uh, tune in for that. Looking forward to that. That should be fun. Uh, meanwhile, I, I sent you this story. Uh, Chris Maragos, remember him? Ex-Seahawk. Yeah, former Seahawk, former member of the Eagles. I think he played with somebody else as well. I but think he was uh, here for the Super Bowl. I remember him at, on the, that at the parade, I'm pretty sure. Okay. Well, he won a $43.5 million verdict in a medical malpractice lawsuit related to the treatment for a career-ending knee injury. And I'm thinking, my goodness. I mean, I, I feel like we hear about some disputes and, you know, the players going to their own doctors and the team wants them to see their the team doctors. And I don't often hear about a lawsuit. And more importantly, I don't hear about the, the player winning, which is interesting. And, uh, you know, automatically I'm thinking, well, you've gone under the knife more than a few times. Schlereth is, I mean, you, you and Schlereth are competing, for God's sakes. Has, it's has, nothing to be to brag about, Bob, or, no, or be well, proud of. But. Is it? Is it... Is it common to where you would get advice? And, and maybe I was thinking it was maybe more common back when you were playing just because of the advancements in medicine now. But were there were there moments you're like, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about, or I don't trust this guy, or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go get a second or a third opinion? How, how common do you think that is? Well, I mean, back then, I thought it was it was pretty common for people to just go to the team doctor and just take their word. Yeah, and just, it's all good. Absolutely, and you know, coming in, I mean, I had good doctors at Stanford, but um, you know, 
I went to a guy named Richard Stedman, who was legendary for you know fixing skiers, and then a lot of the NFL guys tried to started to come there. I met Monica Sellis one time mm-hmm. at his at his office. And I had little baby Jake with me, my son, and she she actually autographed a tennis ball for him. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, he was like the doctor to the stars, and there was a good reason for it. And then the team doctor at the time, I did not see eye to eye with. So because at one point, one of the doctors said, I don't know what's going on inside your knee, but I think we should open it up and, and see what's going on. I'm like, no, 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 <laughs> just no, that's cut not, you open and that's, take a look. That's not the way you do that. But. Yeah, so and and the doctors now for for the Seahawks, I don't think there's a whole lot of people that leave because they're phenomenal. First you had Stan Herring who's just amazing and then Ed Calfane and his, you know, uh, uh, uh for the rest of his practice mm-hmm. and stuff. Have I you mean, heard of this guy by the way, Dr. James Bradley of uh, Rothman Orth- Orthopedics Institute? I am I have not heard of him. Cuz they're saying he's a renowned Pittsburgh-based surgeon who per- previously served as the Steelers team surgeon has operated on numerous athletes including uh, Ben Roethlisberger, Carson Wentz. He's a member of the American Orthopedic Society for Sports Medicine Hall of Fame. Uh so he yeah. seems to have credentials, but yeah, he's he's the one that was sued along with Rothman Orthopedics. Yeah, well, and I think that there's a lot of uh you know, there's a lot of sympathy with juries and and things like that right now with all the money that you can make in the NFL. And, yeah. you know, this guy claims Marigos. I shouldn't call him this guy. I mean, Chris Marigos was on, on the team. He was number 42. He was a free safety. I remember so he was him, on the Super Bowl team. He was on the Super Bowl wow. team in 2013, the Super Bowl 48 team. And I think I think he left after that to go to Philly. So, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting to see that, you know, that this still is kind of going on. And it doesn't sound like it's it's not a team doctor. But it's somebody that that messed up his knee in a way, and I, the way I understand it is that he fixed one thing and not the other. Yeah. So what is saying in the article? He's alleging that they ignored meniscus damage while surgically repairing and rehabilitating a torn a torn posterior cruciate ligament (PCL) right. in his right knee sustained in the 2017 season. Uh, and then it, I think it goes on to say that they were you know having him run and do these different things during his rehab, leading to further complications and ultimately the premature end of his career. Right. So what they what they were asking him to do in rehab was was making it worse. And yeah. He, he, and he has since undergone two subsequent surgeries on his knee and is now considering having a knee replacement. Wow. Yeah, I mean, he's not old enough for that, right? I mean, he's 36. He's, yeah. And he said, I'm the only dad who's not out there playing flag football. Yeah, that's really sad. Well, hopefully, it, it you know he gets it fixed. But you know, as far as that goes, I mean, that's why you know these these doctors are so careful about you know everything. And I think I I can kind of drive doctors nuts because I'm like, okay, thanks for the surgery, see you later. And they're like, oh, no, you got to rehab it, and you got to do this, and you got to do that. You don't like, like that part of no, the process. that's okay. And don't worry, I won't <laughs> come back and say anything bad about you. No, but um, there's lots of lots that goes into that, and it sounds like. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure how you how you miss that, especially if you're a doctor who's been, you know, with athletes and you understand, like, this isn't a, a housewife yeah. or a guy working, you know, a nine-to-five job. There's millions of dollars at stake. So, yeah, interesting. It's kind of sad for him, though. Yeah, it's a, it's a bummer to hear that it's to that. I mean, good for him that he got a settlement. Sad that his career ended prematurely and that, you know, if he's – Telling you, take him at his word. He's he can't even go out there and play flag football with his kids or whatever it is he's he's doing there. May have knee replacement. So, yeah, it's just it, I I saw that story. I'm like, wow, how often does that 
happen that you see we've heard of disputes and uh, you know players not taking the team doctor's advice or a team getting mad at a player because they went and went outside of their their group of physicians and sought advice or what have you but to hear about a player winning a, a settlement that big 43 plus million dollars seems to be a rarity yeah i don't i don't think that the doctors i mean gosh the atmosphere for them especially when you have you know millions of dollars these careers on the line that they're not mad anymore about you going somewhere else they're like yeah. they're more like hey you know this is what we think but go yeah go get a second opinion go get a third opinion you yeah. know the and the the ones that you should stay away from the doctors that that are possessive and are like no 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 wait why are you going somewhere else you want to ego yeah i mean cuz if you're really confident in what you do yeah yeah go ahead go get yeah go go see what else uh, somebody else thinks and if you think something different this is what i think so yeah it's uh i feel like it's a lot better environment for the player so it's kind of shocking to see that happen um, in this day and age, especially with, you know, doctors knowing what's at stake for these guys. All right. Coming up, what was it like for the Kelsey brothers to play against each other in the Super Bowl? We're going to hear about that when we sweep the dial. Coming up with Wyman and Bob, this is Seattle Sports Station on 710. Scanning the airwaves for the most interesting and entertaining stories of the day. Sweeping the dial. Every afternoon at 445 with Wyman and Bob. Jason and Travis Kelsey have been uh, doing a podcast every week of this season, and then it just so happened to work out that they played each other in the Super Bowl, and so today their latest episode came out, and it featured a very emotional Jason Kelsey and Travis a little bit as well, but just kind of talking about what the game meant to them and to their parents. All right now. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, man. It was awesome for... You know, she was on top of the world for for a week. She was the heavyweight champ, man. She was on top of it, and she shined the whole time, man. That was that was the coolest part. Mom, you absolutely killed it. Dad, you've been killing it. Yep. It was just so cool, man, to see uh, you know her get to celebrate in that with us. Yeah, I'm with you, brother. It was an awesome moment. <sighs> just so happy for her, and so happy that um, you know she got her moment. Dad got his. So, yeah, I was the only, ironically, you know, you, you lose the Super Bowl. And you're, you're crying after the game. And they're not tears of sadness. You know, they're tears of joy. What a couple of babies. I'm just <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. Boy, there's a lot of, I'm, uh, that's a joke. But, yeah, they, boy, very emotional talking about their mom. Yeah, Her mom being the heavyweight champ for the week. I know she was really good. I I liked her, man. She was she was just a mom, you know, nothing yeah. nothing fancy, kind of what you would expect. Probably had to be really stressful for her, though. Yeah, she. What do you think? I mean, well, she was on the red carpet at the NFL Honors thing, and then you know, and she's and she handled it so well. She wasn't trying to be anybody. She was just no. her normal self, you could tell. And uh, yeah, but during was, the game, what do you think she was going oh, through? Man, well, you, you, can you imagine? I mean, knowing how much her sons love to win, and one of them's going to be crushed at the mm. end. Sweeping the dial. Tiger Woods is playing his first tournament in over seven months since that pretty uh, gruesome car accident. It's the Genesis Invitational at the Riviera Country Club just outside of L.A. And he knows the course, and Tiger says he thinks he can win it. I would not have put myself out here if I didn't think I could beat these guys and and win the event. Um, That's 
my mentality. And if I wasn't ready to win at this level, I know I am very rusty. Um, but I've come off rusty situations before and I've done well. And uh, I've had to utilize a lot of those tactics in practice and, and build up. And plus also, I know this, this golf course. Uh, I know I haven't had a lot of success on this golf course, but I, I knew what to practice for. Uh, shots to hit um, was at home getting ready. You know, I like the way he expresses himself. One of the things about Tiger Woods, I remember whenever somebody would ask him a question, he would look right at them the entire time he answered the question. And so I, I felt like it discouraged people from asking clown questions because he <laughs> clown question, bro. Yeah, because he has those like piercing eyes and he was like, you were the only person. I really like that about him. I'm, you know, I know that there's been some weird stuff with him, but he makes me he's he's a guy that makes me proud to be a, a Stanford guy. Yeah, know? he's listen, what goes on in his personal life with his wife is unfortunately not unique. He just his is public. That's yeah. you know, I mean and you know, the accident is really unfortunate because it seems to he was already having issues physically with his back and all those surgeries and then he gets into that car accident that he almost loses a leg. So he's out there, you know, competing what what version of him we see, who knows. The the, the sport is better with him there. They have they've every year there's somebody it feels like that is gonna be the next him and he's gonna replace Tiger. Hasn't happened yet. It's not Rory, it's not Jordan Speeth. These guys are all brilliant talents, but they haven't captured the the imagination of the public in any way, shape, or form the way Tiger Woods did. Yeah, here's something I have a problem with golf too. Like a guy needs to take a cart ride. He can't take a cart ride. Like that really? Yeah. You got to make him walk the whole thing. Like, the remember the one golfer who had the bad leg? Casey Martin. Casey Martin. Good call. Yeah. 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 He can't ride in a cart. Why? Come Gives on. him an unfair advantage. I, I don't I don't. Come on. Know. He's already had a disadvantage. I mean, I don't know. To me, that part kind of cheesy, but I'm sure there's some hardcore golfers out there that would say. They're going to text in and tell you why you're yeah, dumb. I'm an idiot. <laughs> Sweeping the dial. Aaron Rodgers does his uh, weekly thing with Pat McAfee, and this week got mad that his darkness retreat, I guess, hasn't started yet. And he got mad it was misrepresented by Adam Schefter and Ian Rappaport. It's, I have no problem with Ian Rappaport, Schefter. I think they're really good at their jobs. When it comes to me, they don't know. Sh- they really don't. They don't have. They don't have inner source. They don't have people in my inner circle who are sources. I can promise you that. And anybody who would talk to them is not in my inner circle. It's that simple. So I've had this planned on the books for four months for the same time. And when someone like that goes on and says something that's not true, it creates a story that's bullshit and it just keeps on going and going and going. What is it they said that wasn't true? I guess when it started. Is that what he's mad at, Mike? I, I guess because it, it's not happening right now because he's not in the dark. He's on Pat McAfee. Not, wouldn't know, it be funny but, if it was just a disembodied voice? Yeah. It's just a black screen. <laughs> well, it's just so... I think his larger point, and I don't listen to the whole thing, but it seemed like the larger point was, according to Aaron Rodgers, he felt that these reporters made it seem like it was spur of the moment. Mm. He's like, oh, I have to go figure things out. I'm going on this darkness retreat. Okay, Instead well, of meticulously planned out adventure. Here's the thing that he doesn't understand, that nobody is worried about when it happens. That what what they're worried about and what they're clowning you for is that it happens. <laughs> You're going in a room, a dark room, like Mark said. How's he going to know when he's done going to the bathroom? 
Uh, like our guy Schleyer told us. Of course, us. So, that's the first question. Uh, but, I mean, it's just so weird that he would get that angry about them. It's just, <laughs> I told them the darkness <laughs> retreat was later in February, not after the Super Bowl. <laughs> it was planned four months ago. I, as such is life when you're a high-profile superstar making over $50 million a year. You Think know what? They didn't get the dates right. What he should have done, Bob? Uh, have a friend like you that would be willing to take $449 million right. off my hands. <laughs> I got a million. You could give me like an allowance. Yeah, that's right. I'll okay. dole it out. Just so, keep doling it out. You know why? So I don't end up in a dark room <laughs> or getting pissed at people for not knowing the dates when I'm going into the dark room for three days. He's a strange days. dude, Aaron. I just love that that's what he's mad about. Yeah. You're not in my inner circle because my inner circle wouldn't talk to you. <laughs> Nobody wants to be in his inner circle. Oh, I don't want to know what's going on in his brain. I really don't. What do you think? Does he play next year? I think he does. Yeah, I mean, he's still got... I'm assuming that he still finds some joy in in playing, and he might do it out of spite or something. Who knows? Maybe there's going to be some voice in that dark room that tells him <laughs> play he should for be the Raiders. a painter or something like that. You yeah. should go house painting. It must go, be go nice paint houses. to have so much money that you can have an honest debate with yourself as to whether you want to make another 50 plus million next year. Yeah. Not not over the course of the next 10 years or 5 years. Next season. You've got 50 plus million sitting there and you're going, mm, "I need to really give it some thought." Well, and he seems to still love to play football. He, he looks like it when you watch him. He seems very yeah. competitive and engaged, so I don't know. We'll we'll see what the darkness brings. Just with, get it right there. next time. <laughs> don't misreport that I went into a dark room four days before it was scheduled. <laughs> All right, coming up. Mariners players are weighing in on what the rule changes, will, what kind of impact they're going to have on the season. We'll talk about that next with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports Station on 710.